Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings, and we'll be getting a lot of the message this morning out of 1 Kings chapter 10 and 11, but we'll start looking at some things earlier in the passage, or in the chapter, the book. One of the things that I've thought about at some point I will likely share with the Brotherhood, maybe a little bit of... Uh, some vision I have, and it may just be mine, and that might be where it'll end, I don't know. But I'd like to have a message at some point talking a little bit more directly regarding us as a brotherhood reaching out, maybe in some ways and maybe in some places that we have not done for some time. Sometimes you maybe hear the idea that, well, why reach out? There's churches everywhere, there's ministries everywhere, what's the point of, why not just be here and do our thing and be happy and, and be done with it. Let the other Christians take care of it. Another thing that I'm, we're seeing that I think anyone here this morning that is, I would say maybe in your 30s and older, maybe 40s, I don't know, have probably been shocked to see the change of, I would say, opinion, the attitude toward the church in North America that we've seen in the last five years, the last ten years or so forth, it's been changing for a number of years. But I would say that there was a time in what I will call Western culture, North America, the United States, Canada, those are the areas that I would know the most, and even Europe, there was a time when the church, the Christian church, was respected to at least some degree. There was a time when people didn't look at the church with disdain and, and anger and hatred in the same way. There were certainly some people that did, but in the same way that people are doing that now. now I recognize that in many parts of the world that has been the norm for generations and centuries. It's been a little bit different in our Western culture, primarily because of some of the things that happened in Europe, uh, even with the spread of the gospel going clear back to the time of Paul, and then uh, how that transpired over history and then through the Reformation and all of that. But something's changing, and why? What's going on? Well, you could say it's all a demonic thing. It's the powers that be, the, the dark powers of darkness, and, and that's a great part of it. But has the church, has the church in North America or in Western culture played a part in all of this hatred we're seeing coming toward the church. Do we still offer the same thing that the church did 100 years ago or even 50 years ago? Now you're wondering maybe why I'm going to 1 Kings to look at, into this. But I want to look at Solomon's life and some things that transpired and some things that people were impressed by, and what changed and what happened, and do we have something to offer the world as conservative Mennonites? And I'm not saying we have Christ as Christ no matter who offers Christ to the world. And this message this morning is not just to somehow uh, disparage all the other churches that are out there, but I'm asking the question, do we have something 
to offer that maybe they're not going to find just any place. And think about that as we go through this message. So in 1 Kings, the first couple chapters there, you see David and uh, his oath to Bathsheba, and Solomon is made king, and you get over into chapter 3 there, and I want to read the first 15 verses of chapter 3. Now, in this process, before this, you'll see some things that took place. Solomon kind of clears up some things that needed to be taken care of, including some people that needed to be taken care of and so forth. We get to chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, And Solomon made affinity, or he made a union or an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David, until he had made an end of the building of his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about it. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. Now that's an interesting verse in and of itself. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, but he did sacrifice and burn incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared unto Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. Wow. If I've often wondered if God would appear to me or would appear to me now and say, what would you want me to give you? I'll give you whatever you want. What would I ask for? What would I say? You know, it's a little bit like when we were children, you know, and, and sometimes we'd kind of play that game, you know, well, if you had three wishes, what would you wish for? Three wishes. You know, and most of us said, well, the first wish I would wish for is a thousand more wishes. You know, you get that one out of the way right away. Then you go on to the next 1,002 wishes, and probably the last one of those is for 1,000 more. We'd never be satisfied. We'd always want more wishes. Well, it's interesting what Solomon said in verse 6, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth, and in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee. Thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne all as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And, am I, and I am but a child, a little child, he says. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and thou hast asked not for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor ask, hast asked the life of thine enemies, but it asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. 
And I have also given thee that which thou hadst not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. If thou, now notice verse 14, if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. Now, you notice the order here. First of all, he had made this alliance with Pharaoh in Egypt and married his daughter. And then, later, he asked for wisdom. So, you could say, well, he, he did that before he had all this wisdom that God had given him. But we're going to see some things that happen later that we would wonder about that. But he prayed for wisdom, and God gives it to him. And then, you'll notice on the next chapters, he, he brought the ark, and he dedicates the temple and he has a prayer for the temple, and he has all these sacrifices for the temple. And then God appears unto him the second time. And turn with me to chapter 9. And we'll read the first nine verses there. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all Solomon's desire, which he had pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built, to put thy name there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And incidentally, that's why you will still see a lot of Jews going to the western wall, the whaling wall, because God said, I will be there perpetually. And they believe that's still the closest that you're going to get to him. If thou wilt walk before me, as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, will keep my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever. As I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But... If ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people." And at this house, which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished, and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why hast the Lord done thus unto this land and to this house? They shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought them all this evil." So he warns Solomon. He says, look, if you continue to do what I have told you, if you continue to live in my statutes, if you live uprightly, you do what your father David did, and you live according to my commandments, then here's the blessings. But if you don't, then I'm casting you out. If you or your children or anyone 
I'm not going to be here. I, I will reject you, and I'll cast you out. Now let's go to chapter 10. And this is a story of the Queen of Sheba coming to visit Solomon. Kind of an intriguing story. Now the Queen of Sheba was probably a queen somewhere in Arabia. We're not exactly sure as far as I can tell. I don't know that anyone knows exactly where, but somewhere there in, a, in Arabia. And she was a, a queen that apparently she had a lot of wealth. She had a lot of uh, spices and gold and all these things. And she heard about Solomon. Now I want to compare this a little bit, and I realize the scripture itself is not comparing this, and I'm not saying it's, a, it's some sort of a, a picture that we're supposed to actually say, yeah, that's exactly what it means. I'm making a comparison simply from the standpoint that we can learn from it, and we can see what happens and what changes. First of all, think about Solomon and his kingdom there being somewhat of a picture of the church. And... The Queen of Sheba is, we might say, the heathen. And she hears about the, the wisdom and the riches and the glory of Solomon and his kingdom. And I think there was a time when the church was respected because people saw in the church the wisdom and the teaching and the spiritual richness and blessings and how that was so glorious and people actually would come to see and to hear and actually of course in the church become a part of it because of that let's let's read down through here and notice it says that when the queen of sheba heard of the fame of solomon concerning the name of the lord or of his god i asked the question do people today hear about the fame of the church because of the glory of the Lord, the name of the Lord? Does the church today, does the Western church today, do we portray something that people recognize as we are magnifying the name of the Lord? Or are we building mega churches and mega ministries and mega this and mega that or, or completely rejecting that and going to not having church at all in a setting of believers and so on to draw attention to self in many of those cases what do the people see are the people hearing about the uh, wealth and health ministries that are so prevalent and have been for a number of years uh, especially back in the days when television was a thing and you heard about television ministers and practically making a fool of, of themselves in Christianity. What, what is being heard? What is being seen of the church? And so she came, it says in verse 1, she came to prove him with hard questions. She's like, okay, I'm going to go see if this guy has the wisdom that everybody's talking about. Do people still see the church as a place to come with the hard questions? I find it interesting that if you get some of those little uh, CAM ministries, the billboard ministries, a uh, prayer request, maybe by email or text, however you might get them, and people come with, well, some people come with anger and, and, and just scoffing, but some people come with really hard questions. 
So there still is a certain amount of people that will look at the church and they'll see those billboards and they'll be like, okay, I've got this going on in my life and I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to call that number and get some truth and find out. Well, she came to Solomon to prove him. And in verse 2 it says, She came to Jerusalem with a very great train or a whole bunch of people. She came with camels that bear spices. Very much gold, precious stones, and when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart, or she just opened up and she asked him a lot of questions and so forth. So when she comes, she brings all these camels bearing spices, and of course, to me, I right away thought, probably a good thing, because I don't know how far those camels went, but probably the spices kind of helped uh, the aroma of those dirty old camels that showed up, smelly old things. Uh, I don't know if you've ever ridden on a camel. That's kind of an interesting uh, thing to do. Kind of fun, but interesting. And she brings gold, and she brings this, and she brings that. And uh, now, there's something else to keep in mind as far as thinking about alliances here that Solomon made with people. There's a good possibility that the area where she lived, there were some trade routes that she would have controlled. Solomon also controlled some trade routes. And as you begin to work out these alliances, it helps build your wealth. It was taxing on things going through your country. And so she, but her country, her area was known for spices and so forth. And so she brought these things. And in verse 3 it says, And Solomon told her all her questions, or he answered them. And there was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sittings of his servants and the attendants of, the, of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, probably his sacrifices, there was no more spirit in her. She was just amazed. She had nothing to say. It was just like, I can't believe this. This is amazing. She says in verse 6, And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believe not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. Happy are the people <clears throat> in the church that still receive the wisdom and the spiritual wealth in the church where, there, where that is being taught and being done. And I trust in many, many churches that's happening. In verse 9 it says, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee, and set thee over the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. <clears throat> Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king a hundred and twenty talents of gold, and of spices, a very great store, and of precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to the king of Solomon, or the king Solomon. And the navy also of Hiram, that brought gold 
from Ophir, brought it from Ophir, great plenty of almug trees and precious stones, and the king made of the almug trees pillars for the house of the Lord, for the king's house, harps also, and psalteries, and singers, and there came no such almug trees, nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked, besides that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. I would say that that picture there is what the church was at one time. Now I want to make something clear. The church of Jesus Christ is still the church of Jesus Christ and always will be. But I'm talking about the way Western Christianity is practiced today. And are we being affected by it? <clears throat> well, sometimes when we have things a little too easy, a little too long, we begin to take things for granted. And we begin to slip. And I wonder if that's part of our problem. We've had so many freedoms, and we're thankful for that. And we have... What do we really need, especially even in our Mennonite churches? What do we need that we don't have? Some, somebody's got it, you think. Our churches, I mean, we, we're, we're wealthy. We're free to worship. Could that bring about some problems? Well, if you look at Solomon and his riches, you go on in his chapter and you can see about his riches. Wilmington's Guide to the Bible lists his riches, and it gives dollar amounts, and I'm assuming this is quite old and outdated, actually. But it says, his treasury of riches, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had a fantastic quantities of gold. From Hiram, he acquired three and a half million. From his navy, 420 talents of gold. From the Queen of Sheba, three and a half million. From Yearly taxes and revenue, upwards of $20 million. He owned 40,000 horses. He owned 1,400 chariots, each costing $400 apiece. He commanded 12,000 cavalrymen. He owned an extensive fleet of ships. He built a huge ivory throne and overlaid it with pure gold. It had six steps and a rounded back and armrest. It was surrounded by 12 lions, two resting on each step. He constructed an iron smelting industry at Izan Gerber, and on and on. How did that all work out for him? As his wealth grew, as his popularity grew, he became wiser and more dedicated to the Lord, right? It's not what we see. At one time, the heathen came to see and to hear his wisdom, and to see what was there. And they were amazed, and they were amazed at his God and the name of his Lord because of what he portrayed and who he was and his wisdom. But what happens? Turn with me, keep your thumb here, turn with me back to Deuteronomy. Chapter 17. I find this passage kind of interesting because God tells the children of Israel, now, you're not supposed to make a king over you. 
Don't make a king. Don't have a king. You're supposed to have judges. You don't need to have a king like all the nations around you. You don't have a king. But when you make your king, do this, because he knew what they were going to do. He's like, I'm telling you don't do it, but I know you're going to do it. And so here's what some things you need to know. Now, as I read this, see if you can see some of Solomon's problems. Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 1. Thou shalt not sacrifice unto the Lord thy God any bullock or sheep wherein there is a blemish. Actually, that's not exactly where I want to be, I don't believe. Down in verse 14, I'm sorry. Chapter 17, starting in verse 14. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are round about me, Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. Saying, if you're going to have to have a king, I'm going to choose him. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. In other words, if you're going to have a king, he must be an Israelite. You can't go out and get somebody else. Verse 16, but he shall not, now look, he shall not multiply horses to himself, what did we just say? Didn't Solomon have a lot of horses? He shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, you shall henceforth return no more that way. He already, his first wife, as I can tell, was an Egyptian. He went down and married, married Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself. I don't know of anyone else in history that I ever found that had more wives than Solomon did. 700 wives and 300 concubines? I don't know how many people are here today, but I'm assuming maybe uh, it's not quite as full as sometimes it might be with the children, everybody sitting here right now. I don't know if there's 160, 70 people, maybe, I don't know. Not even a drop in the bucket to the number of wives that Solomon had. It says here, thou shalt not multiply wives to thyself. Why? That his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply himself silver and gold. What did Solomon do? Store it up. Gold, gold, gold. He was making, or at least plating, shields. Some full-length, some shields for his armed men, gold. Verse 18, And it shall be, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book, out of that which is before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be with him, he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law, and do these statutes, to do them. And it says in verse 20, that his heart be not lifted up above his brother, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Now what I find interesting about this is, even in his 
disregard for the law and the scripture that was given, God still used him to write the Proverbs, some of the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. He wrote scripture. And yet, as he got older, even someone who God was using to write his word and to give out this wisdom, as he gets older, he starts slipping. Why? Because he did not obey the word of God. He thought he could get by doing his own thing. Why did he have so many wives? Well, for one thing, he made all these alliances with these other nations. And so he married women out of these other nations and princesses and and, uh, and kings, daughters, all these people. And so he thought he was going to make some kind of an alliance and keep the peace. And he was going to do all this stuff to, to make a better kingdom. Where has the church compromised to keep the peace with the culture around her? To make all these alliances because we don't want to, we don't want any problems. Let's keep things, but in the same time, disobeyed some of the words of the Lord in His Word. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 11. Starting at verse 1, the king Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians. Some people even said that she, in, in their mythology, that she was the Baal's wife, this goddess. And it said he went after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. It was kind of their national god. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon, and Moloch, there's a question about for sure which one this is, but often it was God of Moloch or one of those that they would sacrifice or dedicate children to. Any comparisons you can see in all of this. And likewise did he for all his strange wives which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. Verse 9, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord God of Israel which had appeared unto him twice, and commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and give it to thy servant. 
Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my father, my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Solomon decided that he could accommodate other gods, he could sacrifice to other gods to make his wives happy and everything was going to be fine. And I want to ask that question this morning. What does compromise look like when it comes to the culture around us? Could it be that God has come to a point in Western culture where he's saying, you are worshiping the gods of the culture around you. And I am going to rend you out, basically. I'm, my protection is gone. But there's one beautiful thing about it. He says here, he said, I'm going to keep one, basically. I'm not going to take the entire kingdom. There's going to be one. Because of Solomon? No. He said, because of your father, David, because he was a servant. And so there will always be a remnant. There will always be a church. There will always be a faithful remnant. Because of us? No, but because of the son of David. Solomon had some blessings and didn't see some things because of his father, David. And I believe there will always be a remnant. Because of the Son of David, Jesus Christ, there will always God will not turn His back on the church. He will always be there for the church, and there will always be a remnant. But when you would have walked into Israel after He began worshiping all these other gods and looked around, I wonder if what the Queen of Sheba would have seen. Would she have still been amazed at His wisdom? Would she have been amazed at how he portrayed the name of the Lord his God? Or would she have said, there's nothing different here than there is in all these other countries that are around me. They're worshiping the same gods. And I had to ask myself a question. If you, you know, unfortunately there are many churches meeting this morning in Western civilization, and, I, and I'm not saying this again to lift us up or anything, but I'm, as a warning to us and the fact that we have something to offer. A lot of churches you could walk in today, and you, the music, you wouldn't be able to tell if you were in a rock concert or a church. And you say, oh, come now, you're just old-fashioned. I'm old enough to know that I listened to some music at one time I shouldn't have, and I find it difficult to tell the difference. Well, you've got to listen to the words really, really hard. Well, if the darkness and light aren't any clearer discerned from each other than that, we've got a problem. I want to tell some of you young families, if you're feeding your children with that kind of music, you're going to pay. You're going to reap something someday. And it's not going to be what you think it is. So there are a lot of churches that people can go to and they can walk in and the music doesn't sound any different than the rock concert they were at the week before or the whatever kind of concert. Or they can walk into the church and 
The entertainment isn't any different than where they were being entertained at whatever venue they were at the week before. It just looks the same. Or they can walk in and uh, people, the way the people are, the, mod, the level of modesty and whatever, the fads and the fashions, how would you know if you're at a church service or at a ball game? And you say, well, you've never been in any of those churches. I've went to some of those churches, probably more recently than you think, just to see what, what's out there. And I asked the question, has the church and Western culture compromised and tried to accommodate its culture? The level of divorce and remarriage in many churches you would walk into this morning are no different than the level of divorce and remarriage if you went to any other organization, party, ball game, and probably even the local tavern. Why? Because at some point, like Solomon, in Western culture we decided certain scriptures don't need to be obeyed because how are we ever going to win people to Jesus if we're so different from them. And I remember what one person said, and that is this, when we have to become accommodating to the culture to reach them, remember this, what you win people with is what you win people to. If you win them with entertainment, then you're going to have to keep entertaining them. If you win them with music that somehow fits their culture, you're going to have to keep giving it to them. But if you win people with Jesus Christ, you win them to Jesus Christ. And if we, I'm telling you, we have, and we're not, I'm not just saying this about Salem, I'm saying Bible-believing and Bible-practicing, and I'm not saying we're perfect, we make our mistakes, of course we do. We don't have it all together. But we have something to offer people that just isn't everywhere. And what are we doing with it? Are we willing to go out and share it? Or are we a little ashamed of being a little too different? A little too conservative? A little too, I don't know, we just don't fit in with the culture. And so we got to tweak some things so we look more like the culture and act more like them and smell more like them and go where they go and do what they do. And then they'll want to come to us. Why? They've already got all that stuff. They don't need us to give it to them. They don't. The world is looking for something different than what the culture has to offer. And I wonder if when we look at what's going on in America, North America, and in Canada with regard to some of this disdain for the church, has God said, What? You've accommodated so much. You've worshipped so many other gods. And you could list the gods. Maybe it's the god of wealth. Maybe it's the god of entertainment. Maybe it's the god of, of uh, prestige. Maybe it's the god of trying to run the government. Maybe I, you name what, what it is. Has the church began to worship at so many other gods to accommodate the culture that they're no longer relevant, and instead, they're despised and hated. Is that where we're at?
Now, I will also say if we truly live out what Jesus said, he said, you will be hated because you live like I do. And that's okay. If we're persecuted for Jesus Christ's sake, that's okay. But if God is angry with us because we're accommodating the culture and we're living like the people around us instead of being sold out for him, then that's a problem. Jesus told some people that were upset with him. He said, you know, he said, the queen, I think he said the queen of the south. He was talking about the queen of Sheba. Came to see Solomon in all his glory. And he said, you know what? He said, a greater one than Solomon is here. He was talking about himself. A greater one than Solomon. We have someone and a kingdom to present to the world that was greater than anything Solomon had to show off to the Queen of Sheba or anyone else. And do we believe it? Do we love it? Do, are we thankful we've got, some, we've got God's Word and we can live it out in the culture that we live in? And we can live it out as an example and we have something to offer the people around us. I hope we do because we have someone that's greater than Solomon that we worship and that we can present to the people around us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you are a great God. That you've given us your word and you want us to share it with others. And you don't want it compromised. And God, I just thank you for that. And help us, Lord, as individuals, as a brotherhood, help me that we do not compromise with the world, but that we present you pure and holy, and that we live lives that would show you to others. Help us as a brotherhood to know, to be wise, to be willing to share your good news with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.